when are benchmarks not actually benchmarks? This is going to be a long podcast, so strap in a little bit. The MGMA collected data uh, from 2,500 practices, and there was a webinar where the MGMA, in conjunction with Whitespace, which makes data warehousing effectively, offers data warehousing, did a presentation and they talked about benchmarking. And they talk a little bit about why benchmarking and those kind of things. But as we go through and listen to the webinar, <coughs> there's actually very few benchmarks. In fact, it seems like there's a general lack of understanding of what a benchmark is. For example, sometime into the webinar, one of the consultants who is a panel member suggests that listeners should want to know that their billing is performing up to what a norm is. But there's no discussion of what a norm is and how would they actually know if they're performing well compared to that norm. Now, up until that point, there's been a grand total of two metrics provided. Those two metrics are bad debt, which they measure in days. So they give an average of 9.1 days as being the average bad debt. And the account receivable, which they give measured as days also, which is 58.2. Now, aside from the fact that there is a whole series of problems involved in specificity of these data and these benchmarks, like if you are a large practice or a small practice or you're orthopedic or general surgery or radiology, are these actually relevant to your practice? If you have 100% Medicare or you've got 100% workers' comp or whatever your particular payer mix is, is this now relevant to you? Or I would suggest even that these are not the most important KPIs. These are not the most important metrics that I would want to see coming out of benchmarking and coming out of a 2,500 practice data set. That's a lot of data. There's also no discussion around what data was collected. Did they get raw data? Did they just ask questions? Like a query, say, what's your average? And users had to respond back with answers instead of actual data? No idea. Don't know anything about this. They also don't talk about when they say you should want to know if you're performing well relative to these norms, how do you figure that out? How do you collect your own data? How do you extract that data? How do you clean up that data? How do you join that data? How do you calculate these metrics yourself? Even if you wanted to compare to those two metrics. Again, nothing around that. Then we get to a section about denials. And there's a lot of hand-wringing and discussion around how terrible denials are and that everybody hates these and nobody wants to deal with it. And then we drop into some metrics. Great, we have some benchmarks. This is fantastic. There's data. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to hearing what this is. And there is a trend line that is shown. And this is basically showing 2020 data. Um, And it shows the average amounts denied by month. And this is expressed in dollars. Now, aside from that, it wasn't clear immediately that this is actual data from the benchmark super set of data, which I hope it is, 
These are showing dollar amounts denied by month, and they're in the range of $30,000. Low of maybe $23,000, $24,000 or something like that, going up to as high as $36,000 in a month. The problem is, that's not comparable. Meaning, you cannot use this information to compare your practice or any other practice to any other practice. It is completely dependent upon your volume. So if you are charging $10 million a month or you're charging $100,000 a month, you can't compare those two. Those are radically different scenarios. And if you have denials by dollars and there's no corresponding percentage associated with that, this is really useless information and really suggests that people don't even understand the concept of a benchmark. It has to be comparable, meaning you can use it to compare across practices, providers, billing entities, whatever it might be. On top of that, this trend line is showing that it's started off at the beginning of 2020 and dropped in total denials on a dollar amount basis as we go into April and May, and then steadily goes up from April, May until December, January of 2020, 2021. So what does that tell us? Does it tell us that denials got better for a couple months and then got worse for the next eight or nine months? If denials are on a dollar basis are going up, that suggests that denials are getting worse, right? But the reality is we have no idea. This is a completely useless graph, a completely useless chart. It doesn't tell us anything because we don't know if their volume was increasing or decreasing over the time. And even if we know that the volume was increasing during the time period, April, May until December of 2020, we don't know the rate at which that's increasing. And therefore, we have no idea if the denials increase is outpacing the volume increase or lagging it. So if we can't understand anything and learn anything from this chart, it is bad. Let me repeat that. A chart that simply vomits information at somebody is bad. We have no idea whether or not denials are getting better or worse. And moreover, even if they were getting worse, now what do you do with that information? Right? The next chart then shows average monthly amounts paid. This is in collections, presumably. The problem is these are in dollars also. So we're seeing a range of $6,000 to $11,000 in collections per month. Now, that annualizes to in the range of eighty dollars to $125,000 in total annual revenue. If that's the average across 2,500 practices, this is a very, very skewed subset of the American healthcare enterprise. Average of 120,000 in annual revenue, that's a micro practice. That's tiny. That's not even a a single physician. That's a part-time physician or maybe not even a full-time allied health professional. I mean, that's minuscule and that's the average. And remember that average, median and mean, this is the mean, not the median, I imagine, because it says average, which means that dollar values of large practice should skew this high. So that means the median is probably even smaller than this. So that means the typical practice in here is minuscule, minuscule. And that may not be helpful in comparing across practices. 
But also, again, if we see dollar amounts going up during some period of time, is that good or bad? Well, if your volume of patients was going up, right, we would expect dollar amounts to go up. What do we learn from that? Absolutely nothing. Generally, payments and the volume of patients are very highly correlated. It's pretty close to one. I mean, it's a very, very high correlation. More patients, more revenue. Less patients, less revenue. Not particularly earth shattering there. You shouldn't have a chart on that, right? Then we get to coinsurance. I'm going to skip that one because, again, we're not learning anything from any of these things. <clears throat> then we talk about the presenter starts talking about how they got denials on a new CP2, CPT code, and that could really skew your AR metrics. But there's no demonstration of that. We have no idea if the denials metrics were skewed by new CPT codes or the AR metrics, as they suggest. There's no data presented to support that hypothesis, right? And if we look at denials in the last couple of months, in that period, call it November to January, November 2020 to January 2021, the amount of denials on a dollar basis goes down. It goes down by about 5%, okay? So that means we're doing well, right? Denials went down. Dollars went down of denials. Fantastic. Except for the fact if we look separately at the charges trend, it looks like charges dropped 10% approximately. It's just doing the numbers off the top of my head during that time, which suggests that the denials rate actually went up. So if your denial chart shows a downward trend and it's actually getting worse, that is a really bad chart because it is misleading at best, if not deceptive, right? The next set of charts, there's actually four of them, talk about average contractual obligation amounts. And the presenter states that the contractual obligations doesn't really vary, except that the eyeball look at that says that it varies between six dollars and $9,000 per month. Well, if that isn't varying, I don't know what is. That's a 50% variance, five zero, 50%. That's variance. But he says it doesn't really vary. It definitely varies. But still, what are we doing with that information? <clears throat> they don't explain what denials are. These contractual obligations, presumably they're including in the denials calculation. So CO45s are a denial? That's just a contractual obligation. That shouldn't be a denial. That's strange and worse, it's useless, if not misleading. I'm not really sure what they're doing on this. They, they clearly have either no understanding of denials, no understanding of benchmarks. But even with that, they, they have charts on the average write-off amounts and the personal responsibility. Well, a PR1, PR2, and PR3 is not a denial. Personal responsibility, that means how much the patient owes. That's not a denial. Absolutely not. Not only does that not make any sense logically, why would you include that? Like, what is that telling you? Okay, denials went up. Well, no, denials didn't go up. The amount that patients owed went up, right? No relationship to whether or not you got a denial. On top of that, most standard definitions don't include that. So what are we supposed to learn even from looking at the monthly contractual obligations amount, right? What do we learn what are we going to change based on that information? Even if it is clearly trending up or trending down, 
What does that tell us? This entire webinar is really a lot of what I would call navel-gazing. Staring at your own navel, picking lint out of it. Right? The scale on the personal responsibility mounts is from 0 to 120. And it varies during the period of this chart of about a year from around the low 40s to what looks like the mid-90s, maybe the high-90s. But they don't actually have an explanation of what it is. My guess, my interpretation is that this is the average dollar amount in those personal responsibility amounts. But they don't say that. Just some vague statement about you need to talk to patients so that they know that they have to pay their share of cost again after the pandemic. That's not data. That's not benchmarking. That's some vague consultant speak again, right? Then we go on to the sort of summary at the end where somebody shows up, throws up denial benchmarks, and they show average monthly contractual obligation of $7,471, average monthly write-offs of $4,500, average monthly voids of $840, average monthly personal responsibility of $65. That doesn't even make any sense. <clears throat> you can't have an average monthly personal responsibility of $65. What they probably mean, again, is the <laughs> average personal responsibility per patient encounter, presumably not per line item, per patient encounter is probably $65. And they state that this is a good takeaway slide. No, this is an abysmal takeaway slide. This is horrible. This is useless, right? These are not benchmarks, right? These are useless averages for a practice. How are these ever, ever comparable? Right? They're not standardized into something that you can actually use to compare anybody else to. At the very least, it depends upon your volume. right? And they suggest you should compare your numbers to these numbers and talk to your revenue cycle management team and see how you compare. God, if somebody did this, I would fire them. right? They don't even understand the concept of benchmarking. And I'm going to quote to you, this is the summary statement on that. It's okay, to, and I quote, this is what the presenter said. It's okay to be above these numbers. It's okay to be below these numbers. First of all, no, it's not. <laughs> I'm continuing now. And I quote, as long as when you're looking at your numbers compared to these benchmarks, you actually look at those numbers and say, here's my story. Here's how our practice went through this. And here's how our practice either succeeded or here's an area of opportunity for us. It's okay to be not exactly at these numbers. And if the number is not where you want it, you have a good action plan to take back to your finance and RCM teams and how to make that number more pleasable, I quote, to us and where we want it to go. Holy crap. That is the giant, biggest load of garbage I've ever heard. What was that statement? You have an action plan? Oh yeah? Where did that come from? <laughs> Based on you comparing your monthly contractual obligations in dollars to theirs? Uh, what? <clears throat> so, this is so painful for me to listen to. And the reason why is the purpose of benchmarks is to have information that is actionable. Useful benchmarks 
would allow you to take some information from other providers that presumably are similar in some respects to you, such that it can provide some insight into where you are relative to your peers, but more importantly, where you can strive towards, what you should be able to achieve, what you should target, what you should put in place to go after, right? And then hopefully out of that would come some action plan in order to achieve that, right? But they don't do any of that. Not only do they only give you a couple things like averages, but even if that data were helpful, those averages, even if it was in a format that was comparable, meaning let's say it was on a percentage basis or something like that, that you could compare across practices, that still doesn't give you anything to shoot for. It doesn't give you a target. So even if they give you an average, they should give you quartiles, top 10%, something like that, something that you should use as a metric to go after. So if my average is, if the average for the industry is 58, the top 10%, meaning the 90th percentile, I'm going to make something up, is at 34 days. And we can use that as a target to strive towards for our practice or our billing industry or company or whatever it might be, right? The fact that they don't know anything about benchmarking, basically anybody in this panel, and unfortunately, I'm including in that the person titled the Vice President, Industry Insights and Business Intelligence for the MGMA, Andrew Swanson, is really clearly shown here at the end because there are a series of questions then that occupy a lot of the time in this webinar. And the questions are things like, patients that are upset about leaving a credit card on file, what would you say to them, right? This is a benchmarking webinar. How does that have anything to do with benchmarking? Benchmarking is about data, right? Now, I'm not saying that's not a useful question in a different context. That may be helpful for somebody to discuss, but it has nothing to do with benchmarking. And there's no discussion around, is that a problem? Now, if they had said 46% of patients coming in are upset about leaving their credit card on file, we found in benchmarking. Okay. Or the top three problems encountered when looking at patient things based on these data are A, B, and C. And A, number one is patients upset about leaving a credit card on file at 36% or whatever. But no, they don't do anything like that. They literally just field questions from the crowd that are completely unrelated to benchmarking. The next question was, you know, how many are using text for mobile payments, right? Nobody comes up with any data, right? One presenter says something like, I see that happening more and more. Wow, that's a great benchmark. More and more. Um, More and more is a quantitative measure that is approximately 1.23 shitloads. The white space CEO said that higher patient collection rate is the outcome from more mobile payments and using text to send patient statements to patients. Really? How much higher? That would be fantastic information. And that would be real data. Even if it's not benchmarking, that would be real data. Mm-hmm. What is the average patient collection rate? And then How does it break down when you text or don't text the patient that statement? And what's that variance? 
That would be phenomenal. That would be really helpful information. And that would be benchmarking if that data was actually provided, but it's not. And someone talks about not getting paid what you should get paid by the payers, but there's no explanation of how you quantify that or what is that rate? What percentage are not getting paid what, quote, should be getting paid? And separate conversation around what is contract compliance and contract management and how do you determine whether you're paid appropriately and all the different factors that come into play in modifying the expected reimbursement. That's a super complex subject, but assuming even that you had solved that and that all of these have that information, now we're talking about what percentage of payments are not correct, right? But there's no mention of that much less an explanation of even how to figure it out or what those benchmarks are, what the average is, right? It just jumps into having to, some vague suggestion about you should go back to payers and talk to them about underpayment. How do you even know you got underpaid? Or what percentage of your payments got underpaid? Is this 3%, 97%? How many dollars does it represent? Is this a $10,000 problem or a $10 million problem for this individual provider, right? So... I'm not just upset. I'm not just on a rant saying this is all garbage and this is all really stupid and these people don't know what they're doing. They don't. But what's really clear is that the speakers in this who are supposed experts don't even understand the concept of benchmarking. So let me come back to it again. If there is data that you can use to compare to your practice, provider, group, network, system, um, billing company, whatever it might be, that information, there's a whole separate process in terms of how do you get your information out of your systems and analyze it so that it is now comparable. But then the purpose of the benchmarks is so that you can compare your data to others and identify a target specifically that you can shoot for and then put together a plan to go from where you are currently to that future target so that you see some improvements and that improvement results in dollars in a bank account. That's the purpose of benchmarking. And if it isn't all going in that direction and it isn't all substantiating and supporting and actually doing that, then everybody's wasting their time. And that's really what we should be focused on is, is what we're doing generating more revenue and can we document that it is generating more revenue that we've achieved success as a result of benchmarking. Otherwise, it's just navel-gazing.